This is the word of our Lord. So up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus and his disciples have traveled 25 miles north from the Sea of Galilee. We talked about this at Ash Wednesday. This is the furthest north that Jesus and his disciples will get. This is the pivot point for Jesus to turn and then make this journey towards the cross. How interesting that the first step for Jesus Christ to make on his journey towards the cross requires change. And I don't just mean like he had to change his clothes or he had to change like the pace at which he walked. The word, the Greek word that's used there for transfigured is metamorphosis. So I want you to think, you know, caterpillar into a butterfly. The, the literal translation is to change form. So Jesus looked different after this. He was not the same. In fact, the scripture tells us that his clothes became whitened, dazzling, as white as no one on earth had ever seen. There was not Clorox at this point in first century. This was a miracle that he had changed form. After Jesus is transfigured, the very next thing that happens in the story is the two most famous people in Israelite history show up on this mountain, Elijah and Moses. And at that point, we know that the disciples are scared to death. And what do many of us do when we are terrified? We say something awkward. And so Peter, Peter's like, hey, why don't we set up some tents? Let's kind of hang out. He's thinking this must be like the holy people party. And for some reason, I got invited. So I want to hang out here. So we're going to set up three tents, one for each of you. It's going to be comfortable. Obviously, I'm really cool because I get to hang out in the presence of these holy people. Peter's like, it's going down for real, and I want to be part of it. But before Jesus can even respond to his awkward statement, all of a sudden, a cloud descends on the mountain. And before we tell what that means, you have to remember that in Israelite history, a cloud had descended on a mountain two other times. And guess who happened? it happened to be upon? Moses and Elijah. So back in Exodus 20, Moses hikes up Mount Sinai and the Israelites are down at the bottom and we're told that a cloud descends on the mountain. And this is when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments and all the law. And then Moses comes down the mountain and he realizes the Israelites have done something really bad. They built the golden calf. He begs God to have mercy on them. And he goes back up on the mountain. When he comes back down, after he has encountered God in the clouds, this is what the scripture says. It says the skin of his face shone. It was, it was illumined. It was bright because he had been talking with God. See, when you have these mountaintop experiences, change happens. But he didn't get to stay there. And then when Elijah, in the book of 2 Kings, the prophet Elijah is called up to a mountain by God. And in the midst of that, clouds come by. He thinks it's an earthquake. It's a fire. Is God in any of this? No. Where is God? In the sheer silence. And the scripture reads that after that moment, Elijah has to take his mantle and cover his face. You see, both of them had had these mountaintop experiences. The cloud had descended on them and they changed. So here are our disciples. They're at the top of a mountain. A cloud has descended upon them. God was going to be sure to speak very clearly. He had their attention. 
They weren't able to see anything. And what does God say? God says, listen. Listen. He says, listen to what my son tells you. This is the change that is required of disciples of Christ. This is the change required of us as we journey to the cross. He tells them, you can no longer just walk alongside Jesus like you're part of his posse. You can't act like, you know, you just are one of the cool kids that gets to hang out with the savior of the world. You have to listen to what he says and hear him. They had heard Jesus. They had been walking with him. And they heard him say several times before in the gospel of Mark, anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. But were they really listening? So friends, the text asks of us this morning, have we been walking alongside Jesus, just kind of one of the followers? Have we been listening? It is so hard for me to listen to God. I'm not talking about because of the way my cell phone buzzes, even when it's on silent, or the alerts that I get, or when I'm trying to just maybe even look up a Bible verse, and then all of a sudden Google knows to put just the right advertisement to distract me about the 30% off sale, you know, that's going on at my store. So it's not just the literal noises are going on, but it's, it's the, the hidden noises that are going on. So I have this habit, I get up early in the morning before anyone's awake in the house. The sun is not up. I leave my device in another room and I go into this room and I sit there just with my Bible. It's just me, the Bible and Jesus, right? And yet it is screaming. I'm getting screamed at. I'm hearing these voices. You need to be a better mom. You need to be a better wife. You need to be eating healthier. You need to get new shoes. You need to know the latest in politics and culture so that you can make sure you relate to everyone. You need so many things, Emily. And even though the room is silent, there's no social media distracting me. It's like I am deaf to be able to listen to God. Do y'all know what I mean? These are the noises that are deafening us to be able to hear God's voice. So how do we change this? This is my favorite part of the text. After God speaks to the disciples and he says, listen to my son, listen to what happens. Suddenly they looked around and they saw no one there. Moses and Elijah had left. The holy people, they left. The cloud, it left. And then the scripture says, only Jesus. It was them and only Jesus. How do we change so that we can listen to God? Only Jesus. This very week, I had my monthly visit with my spiritual director. And for those of you that don't know what spiritual direction is, I highly recommend it. Um, it's, a, it's a way to meet with somebody who calls out the way that God is at work in your life, especially when you cannot see it. And I have to tell you, before we talked, I hadn't written this sermon. So I didn't even know where the text was gonna take me. I was telling her how I can't seem to find a way out of the busyness, how I'm really struggling to, to be present to my family even when I get home. And, and I said, you know, my tendency in those moments 
it, when I'm so busy, is I want to run to a friend. I want to run to a colleague. I want to run to my husband so I can kind of commiserate with someone, right? Get support, someone to make me feel better. And she said, maybe this is the opportunity you're supposed to run to Jesus. Maybe in the midst of this busyness, the thing you're supposed to run to is Jesus. You see, I like having my holy people dance parties on the top of that mountain. I'm the one that says, let's build some tents. This weekend, I have had some of my favorite holy people here. My parents are here. My sisters are here. My friend Lindsay and her family are here. My former boss Jeff is here. And it has been like this holy people dance party all weekend, and I don't want to come down the mountain, you know? And I know y'all know what this is like because y'all have been to things like pilgrimage or ATX you know, or celebration, or, or even just after like the Christmas concert. And you think, oh, it feels so good. I don't feel alone. I don't feel hopeless. Everything is right with the world. I imagine Peter and his disciples up on that mountain. Jesus is literally made brilliant before them, and they don't want to come down. They just were in the midst of the two most famous people in their story, and they just want to stay there and set up tents. And Jesus is literally emanating light. Imagine like Jesus is a sparkler. He's just glowing. I get to my mountaintop. We get to our mountaintops. And you bet, it, it actually becomes my focus. I am obsessed until I get there. And then after it, I'm just gonna relish in that experience. It's like we just wanna stay there. As much as I want this to be true though, what this models for us is the first step is coming down, changed. We are changed. We do get changed in those mountaintop experiences, but the journey means we don't get to stay there. And the, we have to return to the ordinary, everyday living of our lives. This is what Claire talked about last week in her sermon to the confirmants. You know, it's not gonna be always this mountaintop experience. Most of our life is just the ordinary planes of life. The journey to the cross does not let us stay on top of the mountain, surrounded by the people who make us feel best about ourselves, The journey to the cross means change. And that change is to listen to Jesus more than any other noise around us. Just Jesus. So what if this Lent, what if it was only Jesus for us? Those times when you are huffing at your family or irritated with what's going on inside your home, instead of yelling or complaining, what if you took 10 deep breaths and said, only Jesus, only Jesus? What if instead of leading ourselves down that rabbit trail of being worried sick about an aging family member or a struggling child, what if in the midst of that we turn to scripture, a scripture like John 15 that says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. What if in the, a moment of hopelessness and depression, instead of, instead of posting something sad and, and, and self-aggrandizing on social media, what if we stopped and said, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me save that thou art. What if the change that is required is just to be with Jesus? 
our transfigured, brilliant, dazzling Savior. Think about what the disciples were looking at. Jesus was transfigured. He literally glowed in the light. Does this make sense? We can't imagine it, right? But I read a commentary that helps us imagine it. Listen to what he said. He said, seriously, when has the idea of a brilliantly glowing holy figure ever made sense anyway? The transfigured Jesus isn't supposed to be figured out. He's supposed to be appreciated. We should be drawn to him as if we were moths. How can we bask in the warm wonder of his glow? It made me think about our Presbyterian meeting we had two weeks ago. It was at Shepherd of the Hills Presbyterian Church, just a couple miles away from here. It was a really, really cold day. Remember, two Fridays ago, it was really, really cold. And I walk into the narthex, and there's a fireplace in the narthex. And people were swarming around it. There was these ledges on either side. People were sitting and visiting. You know how it is when you walk into a room and there's a fireplace and you're comforted and you're warmed and you want people to join you and you say, come sit by me. The journey to the cross involves change, yes. But y'all, we walk the journey with someone who is brilliant, who says, cozy up to me, cozy up to me. You're not alone on this journey. You're not alone in the changes that you have to make. And these are hard changes because you see, they involve changing the way we cope with life. But the journey to the cross involves change. I can't tell you specifically what you need to change, that that's not my job, that's between you and God. But I did do some research on change. And and this is what I found out, that the only way for change to be effective is for the person who is getting changed to own it. To say, I'm the one that needs to be changed. The one who is invested in making the change has to be the person who is doing it. And you know, one of the main reasons we're okay with changing is when we think it's a better option. The number one reason people do not make a change is because they don't think there's any better option. And you wanna know what is the main reason people will find it as a good option? Because it's worked longer. If they found out that something has worked longer and done better, people are willing to make a change. We like things that are old. We like things that have worked through time. So if there was this research done on these two groups of people that were given access to a painting, one group of people, said they told this painting was made in 1905. The other one in 2005. Guess which group of people viewed the painting more favorably? The one who thought it was older. Okay, so if we like, if the fact that we are willing to change, if we think it stands the test of time, listen to this. Since the beginning of creation, God has set up for us change. God has said, this is the best option. I created the world in which we change constantly. God has been telling creation, I love you so much and want a close relationship with you. Slow down. In the first chapter of our book, on the seventh day, what does he say? Slow down. Take a Sabbath. Take time to listen to me. There is nothing older, nothing with more longevity, nothing as antique as this. Jesus is the best option. Jesus is the change agent for our lives. Hear God, this is my son, my Beloved, listen to him this Lent. Only Jesus. 
Will you join me on this journey to the cross?